Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. So before we get started, why don't we say a word of prayer and then we'll get right into it. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you for this wonderful book, the book of Daniel. I pray that you would lead us into truth. Reveal things to us. Help us to understand more about you, your plans and purposes. And we give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. So verse 1, let's dive in. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. You ever been there? Then he wrote down the dream. Telling the main facts. So the dream of this chapter was experienced by Daniel. Now, there have been other dreams, two other dreams in particular, that were dreamed by Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel was the one who interpreted the dreams. But now Daniel is the dreamer. And as a side note, his dreams from this chapter and chapter 8 occurred between chapters 4 and 5. It says in the first year of Belshazzar. So we're kind of out of chronological order at this point. And also notice at the end of verse 1 he says, then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. In other words, he didn't tell everything. He just put down the main facts. So there's more to this dream than, than we have record of, but we got what we needed. Now, what he saw in this dream is still relevant even today, some 2,500 years later. And there's a hint as to why, at least partly in the language itself. For instance, chapter 1 of Daniel is written in Hebrew, but chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. So the question is, why, why is it written in Aramaic, those chapters 2 through 7. It's the language of the Chaldeans. It's the language of the non-Jews, the language of the Gentiles. And so Bible prophecy usually revolves around Israel with very few exceptions, but within these chapters are prophecies that deal with Gentiles exclusively. So both Nebuchadnezzar's metal man, oh, oh, I left him in my office. I got me a Nebuchadnezzar's metal man. I sure did. Some of you, you follow me on Instagram and some of my incredibly massive social media sites, and you saw me post a picture of the metal man on our piano at home, and I said, you think Valerie will notice and appreciate my contribution to the decor of the living room? And pretty much overall, it was a resounding no. Nobody thought that she would appreciate it. And I just want y'all to know that the nays had it. You guys were right. She did not appreciate the metal man on the piano. Although I thought, this is awesome. He matched. He had, you know, the gold, the silver, the brass, all that stuff. He looked great, Jeremy, to me. I just wish he'd have been bigger. Uh, But she didn't appreciate. Oh, there he is. Look at this. Look at the metal man. When we get our camera teams up, like, it'll be zooming in. Look, I got, it's like, it's like an Oscar, right? We need to start giving out prizes at Life Point as he receives the metal man. That looked much more impressive on the ground. Say again? That looked 
much more impressive on the ground. Oh, right? No, no, no. I wanted to be huge. Like, Y'all know I had that mannequin out here. You, you know, he's still in the shed out here. Remember Matt, the, the mannequin, mannequin man versus wind man? And the, uh, the man, he's still out there. He still freaks people out occasionally when they go in the shed. But uh, my metal man here, okay, so what am I saying? I'm saying that both Nebuchadnezzar's metal man and, as we'll see tonight, Daniel's four beasts, they uh, revolve around Gentile nations. Are you with me? Yeah. Isn't this exciting? Okay. Verses 2 through 3. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, in the first six chapters, Daniel wrote in the third person. Then starting with chapter 7, he, well, actually, he still kind of does because he says, Daniel spoke, saying, but then he quotes himself. He's speaking now, you know, using personal pronouns. I saw in my vision by night. So what did he see? He saw four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea, and four beasts came up from the sea. So there's two things I'd like to say about this. First, these beasts are nations, or kings, as they're called in verse 17 and other places when the interpretation is given. Uh, second, people have all kinds of theories on these beasts. You just go Google Daniel's beast from Daniel 7, and you'll get uh, hundreds of, of ideas, thousands of pages, and, and everybody has an opinion, right? Everybody's got a theory. And I don't agree with some of the ones that uh, really have gotten traction in, in recent days. And, and uh, for instance, I don't, I don't believe in the use of the modern idioms when it comes to these beasts. For instance, a friend of mine, Urban Baxter, in time, I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the lion being Great Britain, the eagle's wings being the United States. I've studied that. I'm just giving you my two cents. Are you with me? And so let me tell you what I do think. I believe these beasts are another way of looking at Nebuchadnezzar's image. It's, it's another way of looking at the same nations. Nebuchadnezzar saw the metal man. Let me give you, for instance, before we get into some rest of uh, some, some details. Uh, for instance, the lion with the eagle's wings is, to me, representative of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar saw it as a head of gold, but Daniel sees it as a lion with eagle's wings. And that ancient idiom, I believe, still works. Babylon has been represented by a lion with eagle's wings for time immemorial, forever and ever. As a matter of fact, from the British Museum, I've got a picture from the British Museum of a Babylonian era of the thing, whatever that is, a wall, right? A, a carving. And, and it's a lion with Eagle's wings, and it's also got that, that head of gold, like Nebuchadnezzar. It's got that, right? It's got that on there. And, and so it's, and that's a, a representation of Babylon in the British Museum. Now, I've got uh, some pictures of the beast I thought you might enjoy. 
this first one is the one that is, you know, artist rendition, trying to put, you know, some kind of artistic flair on the description from these words of the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then this beast that's indescribable. Now, I've got one that I prefer. I'll go ahead and show you this one. I like that beast down there, the T-Rex, right? I thought that would be, I thought that was kind of funny, right? But there's all kind of different variations. Uh, and we'll get into those beasts, but let me say this. Whereas Nebuchadnezzar saw a spectacular metal man, Daniel saw beasts. And it's kind of like man's perspective of his own works is shiny and metallic and awesome. Whereas God's perspective of the nations of the earth is absolutely ferocious, ferocious beast. So back to verse 2. The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now the great sea usually refers to the Mediterranean uh, in the Bible. Incidentally, each of these nations that we're going to look at is connected to the Mediterranean. But, but I believe it's bigger. Revelation 17, 15. You might remember from our Revelation study. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Often waters and seas refer to the mass of humanity. So the spirits are stirring the population of the earth and the people of the earth, the masses of humanity, and they're being driven and moved. And out of these waters come these beasts, these nations. And so what are the four winds of heaven? It sounds familiar if, if you... Uh, if you've ever gone deep into Bible prophecy, and we have around here with Revelation and stuff, but it sounds familiar to think of the four, the four winds of heaven. Revelation 6, Zechariah 6, you have the idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, these spirits that went into the earth. One translation says that they patrol the earth. You have the devil roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Where'd you come from? I came from looking around, seeing if there's anybody that I can get a hold of. The devil told to the Lord. Now, the idea is this. Nations don't just rise to prominence. That's the point. There are spiritual forces behind their uprisings. And we're going to see more of this when we get later into the book of Daniel, chapter 10, when we get to the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Are you with me? Yeah. Isn't this exciting? Okay, so let's go back to these beasts in Daniel 7, verse 4. The first was like a lion. And I can't, I can't help but think of that song we used to sing around here. Like a lion. But that's a totally different lion. That was a lion from the tribe of Judah. This is not that lion. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Now, I already said this, but I believe this represents Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar was said to be the personification of Babylon in chapter 2. And the wings being plucked off, I believe, is in reference to his humiliation. Seven years of not being able to stand, crawling on all fours, eating grass, dew is coming on him for seven years until finally he's given a man's heart. I think it's a, speaking of his restoration to sanity. We looked at that. And also, I believe, in his coming to faith. In his coming to faith. Because I believe that he 
he became a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Babylon being a lion is alluded to also in other scriptures, Jeremiah, and other places in your Bible. So I believe this is a reference to Babylon. Again, I think the beasts of Daniel 7 are the same nations that are referred to in the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Verse 5, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. So following along, I believe this bear would represent Medo-Persia. A bear is slow, it's lumbering, it's not as noble as a lion. It's powerful though, it's unstoppable. And it's notice it says it was raised up on one side. Medo-Persia was this two-sided empire, and one was dominating the other. So you have the Medes and the Persians. You have Darius the Mede, who was a subordinate to Cyrus the Persian. But he worked for Cyrus. He was under Cyrus. Bears are huge. This kingdom was huge also. 50 years later, just in 50 years, under Artaxerxes, because this is the same group that would deal with Esther and Mordecai. So much of the Bible is connected, we don't even realize how connected it really is. But here you have 50 years later, Artaxerxes could, could amass an army of two and a half million men. Two and a half million. That's astounding under today's standards, let alone back then. And then he had three ribs in his mouth. And scholars tell us that three conquests made up the bulk of the Medo-Persian Empire. Babylon, Egypt, and the kingdom of Lydia. They had conquered these places and that was the bulk of their kingdom. Isaiah 13 prophesies Babylon to be a prey to the Medes and the Persians. They preyed upon Babylon like a rib in the mouth. Verse 6. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. On July 20th, 356 BCE, a prince was born to King Philip II and Olympia in the Pella region of the ancient Greek kingdom of Macedonia. They named their son Alexander. He was a restless, imaginative, and wild soul. He gave his tutors fits. It sounds like our Alexander. <laughs> Finally, after his primary and secondary education, his father hired somebody famous, a famous educator by the name of Aristotle to teach him philosophy and poetry and drama and science and politics. And upon completing his undergraduate degree, he immediately joined the military and quickly rose through the ranks, showing outstanding leadership skills and abilities, and it became a force to be reckoned with. After Philip II, his dad, was assassinated by a bodyguard, Alexander began to kill off potential heirs to the throne. Now his mama, Olympia, helped out and killed a few herself, and then he seized the throne in 336 BCE at just 20 years of age. And over the next 12 years, with a leopard-like speed and savagery, he conquered the thin, the thin known world, becoming known as Alexander 
the great. Plutarch once said that when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. At 32 years of age, check this out, he died in, of all places, Babylon. He died in Babylon. And he died of malaria. It's too bad he didn't have any hydrochloroquine. Right. If only. We know where to get some. Where we used to. I used to have a huge jug of that stuff, man, from, from traveling to Africa. And when this all came out, I'm like, I'm like, man, where's that jug of that, those green capsules? I guess, well, I can't tell you what I was thinking, actually. I, I wasn't thinking about taking them. What am I trying to say? Huh? Let me move on. But, fundraiser, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you haven't picked up on this yet, the leopard represents Greece. It virtually flew throughout the earth, and then the world and savaged everything in its path. It's, 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 it's a leopard. It's compared to a leopard, a cat. This makes me think of Hemingway, our cat. You talking about savage, man. If Hemingway was big enough, he would kill us all. It's amazing. Recently, he's been on the prowl. I don't know if the quarantine has gotten to him or what, but like he's killing birds. We walked outside. I found half a squirrel in my backyard the other day. I'm talking about the back half of the squirrel. Don't know where the rest of it was. This morning, walked out. There's a little skull of a, a bird on the. He's just bringing little little sacrifices to kills snakes, and he's a terror. He's savage. And Alexander the Great. You know, it's like all those other nations were like the little birds and the little lizards and stuff. And he's just swooping down and wiping them out. It's amazing. The leopard in Daniel 7 had four heads. So what does that mean? When Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was divided between his four generals, four heads, so to speak. Not four, it's right? four heads. Cassandra would rule Macedonia, Ptolemy would rule Egypt, Seleucus would rule Anatolia and India, parts of it, and Antagonus would rule Persia and Asia. Verse 7, after this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Now this, well, follow the image, this is wrong. None of the other beasts were more dreadful and terrible than Rome. Rome was huge. Rome lasted a long time. Rome was powerful. The iron teeth are a throwback to Nebuchadnezzar's image. The iron legs, it is said down later in the chapter, that stomped things and it broke things even, uh, stomping on things, and, and it had ten horns. Nebuchadnezzar's image, you, you have the reference to the ten toes, different idioms, shiny metal, ferocious beasts. Now, a horn was representative of power in biblical literature and to the ancient mind. It, it represents power. 
uh, a king and or a nation, you know, how many horns it has, how big the horns are. I mean, we still kind of think that way as far as hunters go, you know. Well, I got a 10 point, you know. I got a 12 point, I got a 14 point, it's a 143 inch spread, you know. Like You have all this language that goes out and, and it, it's the power of the buck, the power of the deer. It's the idea of that, that horn. Well, you can kind of relate to that when it comes to this. This thing had 10, 10 horns. And, and so the, the 10 horns represent 10 nations and these horns are a tag on to the beast that is Rome, like the ten toes were a tag on to the legs that were Rome. And as those ten toes seem to represent a future conglomeration of nations that come out of the Roman Empire, we know that it's speaking of a future world because... It's still around when Jesus returns and takes over. We saw that with Daniel's image. Remember the stone, the rock. Uh, when I posted this, somebody said, yeah, and a rock comes and destroys it. When I posted this on my social media, some brilliant Bible scholar posted that as if I didn't know. A rock comes crashing down and destroys this image. Well, that rock is Christ. And it, 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 it's the beginning when he returns, not the rapture, but when he comes to the earth and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. That kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never end. It fills up the earth. It, it's, a, it's speaking of coming down when the toes are around. So in other words, that kingdom, those toes, that ten conglomeration will be around when Jesus comes back to the earth and destroys that image and sets up his own kingdom. That's the same way it is with the horns as we're going to see. So you have these parallels. Are you with me? You have these parallels and then you're going to have this little horn that we'll talk about in just a moment. Look at verse 8. I was considering the horns and there was another horn. A little one coming up among them. This, i got to tell you, like in modern language, this is so weird. Is it not? Like, all of this is, is strange and just uh, bewitching, just, just interesting, fascinating. Uh, and, and so, uh, but there's significance and meaning in it. i got to tell you this, too. The, one of the reasons that we committed to go through the Bible verse by verse here at LifePoint is because you've got to go where the text takes you. And let, let me just tell you right now, there's a lot of things I could, I could have preached a lot easier than Daniel chapter 7. But we need the whole counsel of God. The, the church is starving in, in, in the world for the word. Because we have candy sticks, you know what I'm saying? We got our favorite verse, for God so loved the world. And that's a great one, y'all. And, and then Peter said unto them, that's a great one, y'all. And, 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 and Jesus said, except the more be, a man be born again of water and spirit. That's, that's a great one. In the beginning was the word and the word. That's a great one. But we get hung up on our candy sticks and we don't go into the, those difficult places. But you've got to go to those difficult places. Why? First of all, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You just got to dive in, man. You just got to dive in. And secondly, as you, as you have seen, the... the was speaking in Daniel 7 is over here speaking in Revelation 17. And what's speaking in Revelation 17 is speaking over here in Isaiah uh, uh, 48. And is speaking in Jeremiah 48. And 
like it all begins to fit. And all those pieces come together. And what does it do? It strengthens your faith, your confidence in the Word of God. So that when tough times come, like what we've been going through lately, your confidence in the Word is stout. You've got this layered revelation. And ain't no devil in hell, no pressure in this world can take it out of you. When you don't have a deep root with the word, the enemy comes immediately and steals the word, messes with it. But when it's gone deep, when you're rooted and grounded in the faith, y'all, ain't no devil. Ain't no devil can steal it from you. So you got to go where the text takes you. And so that is uh, one of the reasons that we just go in here. So the language is weird, but hey, that's all right. We figured it out. I got blue letter Bible on my computer, you know what I mean? I, I figure some things out with Blue Letter Bible now. But, uh, and prayer, and study, and, you know, time. So verse 8, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, you've got this, this little horn, which is really the 11th horn. So it's 10 horns, and then out from those horns comes an 11th horn, a little horn. It will displace through the first 10. It, it starts small, but boy, it asserts itself, makes itself known, cuts off these other three. And this little horn is going to be seen later in chapter 8 in some other places. The little horn, uh, horn, the little horn has eyes like a man and a mouth speaking pompous things, great things. This, let me go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. This little horn is the Antichrist. There are three, uh, 33 labels for this guy in the Old Testament alone, 13 in the New. We get hung up on the Antichrist. There's a little horn, but there's a whole others. Excuse me, some perdition, others. We'll deal with them later, but let me make this point here. Rome was never really destroyed. Rome was disassembled. It was factionalized. There was this western side and this eastern side. You had the two legs, right? The eastern, the western side of Rome, which would be Rome and Constantinople. The east, the west, there's a lot of significance there. And, and it's going to be reassembled about the time that Messiah is to return. Christ Jesus is to return. So it will be reassembled. It reminds me of Ezekiel. Remember when he was taken to that valley and he said, hey man, you think these bones can live? And he's, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, right? Did I say Ezekiel? Ezekiel was right. He said, he, he answered the right things like, you know, right? He said, well, he doesn't want to commit. You know. And, and so then the Lord says, I want you to speak to these bones. And, and the idea was that they had been broken apart, but they all came back together. So as we know it, the, the Roman Empire, is, is it doesn't exist, but it, it was just, it's still there, y'all. And it can be called out. Remember those four spirits? Those spiritual forces are moving, moving. Things don't just happen. Things, nations rise, nations are taken. There's spiritual forces behind that. And so... 
there will be a reconfiguration of Rome. The ten toes and those ten horns and out of that coming the Antichrist. And it will be in existence when Jesus returns this, this alliance of nations that are mentioned with the horns and the toes. Look at verses 9 through 14. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. Now, there are scriptures that speak of, of the, the, the throne of God. And it, they would have wheels like, 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 a, like a chair, right? Like, like a, an executive chair. They would put wheels on these thrones. And this says that its wheels were a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. So here you have this regal scene and this little horn just speaking these arrogant words. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed, given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Now let me just say this. If I've said it once, I'm going to say it again. I've said it a thousand times. You see this in Revelation, you see this in Daniel, you see this throughout the Word. In the end, Jesus wins. No matter what happens in this world, and no matter how much it may appear that Jesus is losing, in the end, Jesus wins. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of the Lords, and nothing escapes him. Can I go ahead and say this? He's in control. He knows right where you are. You are, you are, you are. He knows what you're facing. He knows the battles that are in front of you. And I want to tell you something. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He's got a plan for you. Come on, he's on your side. Want you stand right now and give him some praise? Hallelujah. Come on, give him some praise. He is on your side. He's the king of the universe. He holds the whole world in his hand. Everything was made by him. Nothing without him was made that is made. He's the source of it all. As I was studying this and preparing this, Psalm 27 came to my mind. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let me ask you that. Who are you going to fear? Who are you going to be afraid? There's no need to be afraid. Jesus said, be not afraid. I have overcome the world. Give him some praise right now in Jesus' name. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. 
And he's coming back, y'all, for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, y'all. He's coming back for a church that is intact, in season, out of season, no matter what this world brings, a church that has found its place in him. Because, y'all, without him, we can't do anything. But with him, we can do all things. Amen. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands to him right now. Father, we give you praise. Woo, I feel your presence in this house tonight, God. I feel your glory in this house, God. We just kind of stirred this up, Lord, looking into the word in a big, big, big picture. But, God, we understand you're in control. You've got it all. You know my issues. You know my problems. But you've washed me in your blood. You've covered me in the blood. You've given me opportunities. You've given me a, the Holy Spirit. You've given me faith, Lord, to access the grace of the true and living God. Sing it right now. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.